0: Good morning. morning. My name is Jim. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central, and I'm uh, privileged to bring you the Word of God this morning. If you have your Bibles, let's look to the Book of John, chapter 10, verses 11 to 16. The Book of John, chapter 10, verses 11 to 16, will also be overhead for you. If you didn't, if you'd like to just read along, this is the reading of God's Word. It says, "I'm the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep." And they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. Amen. I want to say to you that uh, as it was announced today, our church is taking one other, another step of faith as we think about what it means to shepherd God's people. I remember when I first was ordained as a minister of the Word of God, and I was officially called pastor or reverend, I felt the same as the day before and I remember feeling such a very heavy task upon my shoulders. I remember thinking, how am I going to shepherd people? What does that even mean and look like? I remember thinking about the congregation that I was with at the time. About 150 young folks and I was thinking, how in the world who am I to shepherd them? And I was reminded also in the commission that was given at the ordination that I'm not here to be Jesus. In fact, there's only one good shepherd, and his name is Jesus. And today, as we read this text, and as we endeavor as a church to think about what it means not only to look to the only good shepherd, no better shepherd than Jesus, but what does it mean to love one another? What does it mean for us as pastors and elders, deacons and Sunday school teachers and small group leaders and parents and access volunteers? What does that mean to be under shepherds of the true and good shepherd? But even as we delve a little deeper and more specific, the claim, the first claim of this passage says that I am the good shepherd. I know there are some of you sitting here this morning who have Actually, along with myself, ask the question both verbally or in your heart. Is he really good? We question that sometimes, especially when we go through heartache and loss. When we're bedside with a family member who's fighting for their life. When our child is tremendously sick. Or when we just got laid off and you got to provide for your family. You don't know how you're going to pay for your next bills. You just broke up with someone you love. You feel heartbroken. You turn on the news and you see devastation and and wars and, and crimes and violence. And you wonder, God, where are you? Is he good? Not only in this world, but is he good to me? We wonder sometimes, where is God in all this? What's he doing? What's he thinking? I'm not even God, and I could imagine a thousand things I would want to change. But here today, as we look to the good shepherd and understand the significance of our need of him, I want us first to set a table of understanding something, because for most of us, we, d- we have not grown up ever seeing what a sheep or a shepherd really is like. I haven't. And so borrowing from an author, Philip Keller, not related to Tim Keller, by the way, um, he wrote a book entitled A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. And although it's not a look at the passage that we're talking about today, we are talking about shepherd and sheep. And some of the insights that Philip Keller offers is really, it's really helpful both well, Pastor uh, Harold and I will be mentioning this in our sermons, and, and I want you to understand a little bit about this context and, and what it's like. You know, a lot of times when I was growing up, I thought uh, I, I would see pictures of Jesus holding a lamb around his neck and, and little children by his uh, side, and, and that imagery was so warm and so comforting. But actually, sheep are not very smart creatures. <laughs> it's not a compliment. <laughs> it's actually very exposing. Because sheep are really, uh, they easily wander. They're very needy. In fact, uh, Keller writes that they're one of the stupidest creatures on God's good earth. It's seen in the way they easily wander from their shepherd. They can have a good shepherd who constantly takes them to the best grazing areas near abundant supplies of water, and yet they will still wander away to barren lands and where water is undrinkable. And they are they're such creatures of habit, they continue to wander and drift and get into trouble, get caught in thickets, and and have all kinds of issues where the, the the shepherd has to go and rescue them. Sometimes, if you leave them alone, they'll just keep eating until they get so heavy they'll just tip over. I feel like that sometimes. They eat the grass until they eat all the way, even to the root. And the fields are ruined and they themselves will eventually be impoverished because there's no more food to eat. The sheep also don't know how to rest well. They can't rest until they're free of all their fears. And, and Keller, Philip Keller writes that sheep will not lie down until the four F's are met. That the fear, the friction with other sheep... Flies that bother them constantly and famine, wondering about food, are met. Finally, when all those things are taken care of, sheep will finally find rest. In Psalm 23, it talks about, you anoint my head with oil. And To me, I always thought of that as a picture of blessing, and it is. But for the shepherd, he actually anoints the head of sheep with oil that actually helps them heal From the flies that lay eggs in their ears. And the oil is actually an ointment of healing. That the shepherd cares. The shepherd is aware of the sheep's pain, fears, friction, even flies. Fellow Keller goes on to speak about the neediness of of sheep. He talks about this condition called the cast down sheep. And he describes it this way. He says, What happens is this. A heavy, fat, or long-fleeced sheep will lie down comfortably in some little hollow or depression in the ground. It may roll on its side slightly to stretch out or to relax. And suddenly the center of gravity in the body shifts so that it turns on its back far enough that the feet no longer touch the ground. It may feel a sense of panic and start to paw frantically. Frequently this, is, this only makes things worse. It rolls over even further, and now it is quite impossible for it to regain its feet. In this position, gases build up in the body, cutting off circulation to the legs, and often it is only a matter of a few hours before the sheep dies. The only one who can restore the sheep to its health is the shepherd. So I want you to imagine there's, there's just a flock of sheep, and they're buying or they're eating, and then... Over in a distance, you see four legs just in the air, just moving around frantically. (laughs) That's us. That's me. And if the shepherd doesn't see that and immediately run over and turn him over, he will die. This is the picture that the scripture uses regarding Jesus as the good shepherd and us as sheep. And by the way, for those of us who have pictures of shepherds who just sit under a tree and, and just kind of take naps while the sheep are eating and whatever, that's not the picture. Shepherd's work is hard. It's long hours. He does a lot of walking. And shepherd, the shepherd actually goes to the, the, the mountaintops where the grass is really nice and he prepares that for the sheep in the summer. And in order to get there, they have to walk through the valleys of the shadow of death where animals and 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 uh, thieves lie. And they, he will take them there eventually to get to the mountaintop where he, the shepherd prepares a table, the tabletop, before his enemies. So the shepherd's work is year-round, and he does this out of his care for his sheep. And all this... In the wild, while there are times when he has to fight off wild beasts who are looking for a quick meal. King David in the Old Testament, who slayed Goliath, speaks of how he gained his confidence to beat Goliath because of his experience shepherding while he cares for the sheep and fought off wild animals. And so, this morning, my brothers and sisters, I want to ask you do you really need this good shepherd? you really need him i want to suggest there are four four things that we could find from this text that describe our need for a a good and true shepherd the first one is that the sheep we are in grave danger often sheep are unaware of the predators that are around them and they're easy prey because they're, they're they're not fast their body is oblong shaped they cannot move very well and as soon as they start moving they're dead but it also says that in Psalm 23, it talks about a pass, a point where it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We know what the staff is. It's the hook-shaped long piece of wood that sometimes the shepherd uses to get the neck of the sheep and draw him closer or to tap him along so that he doesn't wander too far. But the rod, it says the rod and the staff, they comfort me. The staff guides you and comforts you. But the rod also is a comfort because the, the rod is a, actually a piece of heavy wood that is cut out and, and, and made into the shape that fits the shepherd's hand quite well. And he uses it and practices throwing it and, and almost using it as, an, as a tool of discipline for wandering sheep. And he's become, he becomes an expert at throwing the rod at wild beasts so that they get hit with this, th- this heavy piece of wood and run away. The grave danger is that the sheep sometimes don't realize that as they keep eating and wandering, there is sometimes a cliff near the mountainsides. And without even knowing, they'll just fall right off. And what the shepherd sometimes has to do is he'll take this wandering sheep and he'll actually intentionally break its legs so he can't walk and move around anymore. And he'll put that sheep right next to his feet so the sheep literally has to be dependent on the shepherd to eat and to live. His protection over the sheep is because there is grave danger surrounding the sheep constantly. In our case, however, the danger is more than animals, a cliff, and predators. The greatest danger that looms over mankind is sin and death. And finally, the judgment of God. In verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, when you think of a shepherd, the first thoughts that come to my mind are things like nurture, care, guiding, protecting, feeding. I don't think of laying down your life to die. In fact, that really wasn't a part of the shepherd's description, job description. If the shepherd dies, the sheep are without a sheep. But Jesus says this in this text to point out something and point towards something that he eventually came for. That this good shepherd was not just simply here to guide you to green pastures and waters and help you to live a better life. He came to rescue you from sin and death. And that would require that he lay down his life for his sheep. The scripture makes it clear that all have sinned and fall short. And because all have sinned and fall short of God's perfection, none of us are good enough by God's holy standards for eternal life. What's waiting for the sheep is a deep and real cliff. The drop is deep and the end is sure. And Jesus, our good shepherd, understands that the most significant danger for the sheep right now is this very imminent judgment and death. In our culture, most of us, we might consider this this issue of judgment, hell, the end times description of these final days, as something almost as a fantasy. And that we would think that God is a good God. He's a loving God. He's a merciful God. He will forgive me. Yes, he will, but only because the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. There is no life apart from him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you ever are confused about that, may it be clear that the first primary task of this good shepherd was to lay down his life for his sheep. And so our loving good shepherd Jesus was willing to go to the lowest place to achieve the highest good for his beloved sheep. In Psalm 23, it also says, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He restores my soul. The Hebrew idiom, the words restore my soul can mean brings me to repentance or to conversion. The word translated soul is actually life. And this metaphor is speaking that the shepherd will probably bring you to a place where you are restored to life. The Lord restores me to life. And so we need this good shepherd because we are in grave danger of the ultimate problem of sin and death. And this good shepherd is the only one who can deliver his sheep from this peril. Not only are we in grave danger, but secondly, we need this good and true shepherd because other shepherds can't compare. In verses 12 and 13, it says... He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now in the context, what we believe Jesus is talking about here he's, is, is that he's talking about other Jewish leaders who seem to leave the people of God out to die. They're not caring for him. And because all they offer them are just merely religion, there is really no hope. And when Jesus saw the people of Israel, he said, they look like sheep without a shepherd. Because you see, these other shepherds, they really aren't caring for the sheep because they're not their sheep. This particular distinction we see Jesus make is that these sheep, are his, versus the hirelings, and they're just hired, and they're not his. They're not theirs. These, this is different from the thieves that is mentioned earlier in chapter 10. These hirelings, these, uh, these hired shepherds, are not necessarily bad people. They're just doing their job, and when danger comes, they're going to leave. Because they're not the owner of the sheep. They're not vested in the sheep like the sheep owner is. And in one sense, maybe you could look at men like us who are pastors. We are under shepherds of the good shepherd. And although we try to love and shepherd God's people, we will fail. Because we're not Jesus. This is one of the realities that I had to really deal with in my own pride and my own insecurities as a pastor that I can't do what Jesus does. I'm not meant to. In fact, pastors are real people. And and in some sense, we're all sheep as well. And we too need this good shepherd. The role that we play is to be here To lead you to the ultimate good shepherd. By the instruction of God's word. By carrying and offering help and prayer and guidance in life. That one of the main things that we do also as pastors besides teaching the word of God is to meet with you. To pray with you. And to guide you back to his truth. So that his truth guides you. And not the things of the world or the words of other men by acting on behalf of the good shepherd we seek to do our best to represent this truth this love this guidance of the ultimate good and true shepherd one of the dangers however in the church is when we expect under shepherds to be like the good shepherd when under shepherds fail because of immorality because of health issues, because of struggles in life, when you see pastors step down from ministry or are removed because of discipline, because of sin in their life, there are many people who walk away from the church who say, if that's Christianity, I want no part of it. If that's what Christians are like, I don't want any part of it. If that's a leader, if that's a pastor, I don't want anything to do with it. And what people are saying is, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus either but may I be the first to stand in line along with the men who serve this church as pastors and elders, that we are imperfect, that we fall short, and by only by the grace of God could we ever use a title like pastors and shepherds. I know these men. I have the privilege to stand alongside them. I'm so proud to call them my brothers and fellow laborers, But we will all stand and admit to you, we will fall short. But our our desire and our prayer is that we would direct you to Jesus, our good shepherd. In our world, there are also false shepherds, false messiahs, people who claim to be literally Jesus. They're often motivated by delusions of thinking that they are really someone of high stature and deserving of such praise. But I assure you, the next time you see the real Jesus, he will not be walking the streets of L.A. or New York or Miami. He will come with angels and with trumpets. Look for him there. Other shepherds can't compare. Under shepherds are mentioned to give and guide God's people, and we are commissioned. And I want to be clear that Jesus did commission his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, to speak and teach on his behalf, to baptize, to proclaim the gospel on behalf of the good shepherd. And although we fall short, we too need our good shepherd on a daily basis. To those men who are in this room, who are elders and pastors with me, I encourage us also to remember to stay close to the shepherd so that we also may be able to speak on his behalf and follow him and be good at following him. And every time we fail, we too, like sheep, like you, will go to him and find grace and mercy. So we need our good and true shepherd because we are in grave danger. Other shepherds can't compare. And thirdly, our sheep, other sheep need him too. In verse 16, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Verse 16 is referring to the sheep that are not of the Hebrew descent. He's talking about the Gentiles in the world that will one day hear his voice as their shepherd. This is talking about taking the gospel to the sheep Around the world. Thank God there were other under shepherds who decided to heed this call and take the gospel to other nations. That is why I, as a Gentile, am a Christian, that I know my shepherd, because I heard his voice. pastoring the local churches around the world. Pastors and elders are calling and caring for sheep so that they can hear His voice and evangelists are sent out into the world. Missionaries are sent out into the world to also be the voice of our Good Shepherd speaking out and calling to the sheep. And our end goal is not the name of any local church. It is not the name of any preacher or pastor. It is to exalt and, and lift up the name of the one shepherd who will have one flock. The work of missions and missionaries is a great task for every local church. It is one of the ways that we are fulfilling the very commission Christ gave to his disciples to make disciples of all nations. And I'm so thankful and, and so glad to be a part of Christ Central as we're about to, hopefully by prayer, send out one of our very own families to Asia as missionaries, commissioned missionaries, the noms. And having gotten to know them and know that they have three children, two boys and a little girl, you have to ask, why would a family, why would a husband and wife uproot their three little children, go to the other side of the planet away from friends and family and all that they know here to go to the other side of the, uh, to the world and live there. Why? Because of this. Because there are other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they need to hear His voice. They need to hear the gospel proclaimed so that there will be one flock. Ultimately, that's, what will, that's how the book of Revelation ends. The church, the church, crying out, To her Savior, Maranatha, come. Come quickly. If you've never been on a mission trip, I want to highly recommend that you consider this. In my 30 years of ministry, both local pastor, campus ministry, and going out to summer missions with students and with young people and, and families, I want to say to you, that perhaps more so than preaching and doing local church ministry, some of the most significant times that I got to witness the work of Our Good Shepherd was on the mission field. To stand there and watch strangers I've never met stand, walk forward with tears, children coming to the front and, and saying a prayer of, of trusting in Jesus Christ and and standing there and And knowing that Jesus is saying, I love them. You have to experience this. This is powerful. This is the shepherd who is out and and, and, and just wanting and calling his sheep. What a powerful opportunity for us to see that Christ is not just a shepherd here in L.A., but a shepherd around the world. This February, our church has the privilege to dare to take the task of shepherding every member. I'm so proud to be a part of this group at this time. It's something I've been thinking about for years. I wonder, with churches of 10 or 20 or 30, I get it. One pastor, 30 people, I get it. How do you do that with hundreds or even thousands of people? So many wander, come in and out. And it's not to knock mega churches, but it's simply to ask, how do we do this? Not that we figured it out, but we're taking the first step. And we want to say, Lord Jesus, we want to care for your sheep. That's what you commissioned us to do. And we want to understand what it means to love them as you have loved us. And and I'm so glad to be a part of this step. The vision of shepherding and the conference of No Better Shepherd is that we desire to see and endeavor to lead and care And love. And guide people to Jesus. And as though as imperfect and limited we are. As sheep as well. We want to do this because we love this good shepherd. And I hope that you will join us in understanding that this is a task of, of men. And women. In small groups. As parents. As access volunteers. As people who are helping others to hear about Jesus, your task is no less significant. In fact, for all of you who call yourselves, who get called mom and dad, understand that you're called to shepherd your children. And for those of you who lead small groups, you have a group of men and women in your group that. That we are called, we can't do this because we're not Jesus, but you are called as under shepherds to help them walk with Christ. What a wonderful opportunity that is. And if you volunteer with access, what a blessing you are to the families and to the children. All the Sunday school teachers, I told them as well, this is a wonderful opportunity we have to be under shepherds and learn what it means to share the heart of Christ with others in our church. And so we need this good and true shepherd because one, we're in grave danger. Secondly, our shepherd, other shepherds can't compare. Thirdly, other sheep need him too. And fourthly, we need the security of his love. In verses 14 and 15, Jesus says for the second time here, I am the good shepherd. And now he says... I know my own, my own sheep, and my own, my own sheep know me. You know how he knows them, how deeply and intimately he knows them, and how we are to know him? Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. That comparison alone is powerful. It's powerful because the kind of intimacy with which the sheep and the shepherd are to have this relationship is incredibly powerful and deep and rich because it's the same intimacy Jesus shares with the Father and the Father with the Son. And again, he reiterates the purpose for which the Father had sent this good shepherd, which was to lay down my life for the sheep. Every day you and I wake up, and sometimes we wake up with hearts beating with anxiety. With a job that's overwhelming. With a kid that's struggling. With a spouse that seems so distant. With a parent in the hospital. And our heart is beating. And, our sh- and the sheep are afraid. Where do you go when your heart is beating like that? Where do you go when you have sleepless nights? Where do you go when your eyes open at 2.30 in the morning and all you could think of is the debt, the kids, the, the work, and everything else that brings you stress and anxiety? Where do you go when you have need? What your shepherd wants is for you to know him as he knows you. Stuart Scott, a former ESPN anchor, gave a speech at the ESPYs as he received the V Foundation Award in 2014, the Jimmy V Award for perseverance in his battle against cancer. He gave a powerful and moving speech about fighting cancer, the why, the how, and the manner in which you live to beat cancer even if you die. He had two daughters who he loved with his heartbeat, Sydney and Taylor. But cancer wasn't a fight but something that needed support. He said, live, live. But when you get tired, sit down and rest and let someone else fight for you. That's also very important. I can't do this. Uh, I can't do this don't give up thing all by myself. He said, man, I crashed. This week, I had liver, I he said, I had liver cancer, kidney failure. I had four surgeries in a span of seven days. I had tubes and wires running in and out of every part of my body, and I couldn't fight. This is right before he came to the ESPYs. And he said, there was a moment in that speech, there was a moment in that speech when I was watching, when he addressed his sister Susan. And he said, after seven consecutive days in the hospital, he said, I called my big sister Susan a few days ago. Why? I needed to cry. It's that simple. And I know that I can call her, Or my other sister, Cynthia. Or my brother, Stephen. My mom and dad. And I can just cry. And those things are very important. I was watching that. And I was preparing this. And I just thought, Oh man, I totally understand. I wish I could reach out to the TV. Because Stuart Scott has now passed away. But I wish I could reach out and say, Oh Stuart, there's another person you can go to to cry not only does he hear you but he understands your pain do you have a safe place do you have a person you can go to just to simply to cry may i invite you to meet jesus our good shepherd i've gone to him many times and just cried As a man, I'm too prideful to cry in front of other men, maybe even my wife or kids. But there have been many times when I've shed tears before my shepherd. In times of pain and sorrow, and feeling absolutely just unworthy, many times I've said to him, Jesus, there are other men better than I that could serve you. And he said, yes, you're right. (laughs) But he said, You don't serve me because you are worthy. You serve me by my grace. And every time I just cried more tears. There are times when we feel abandoned, mocked, persecuted, knowing death is imminent. And there's no one who understands this better than our good shepherd. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out with a loud voice. And when he cried... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No one answered. There was no one to answer his cry. Why? For you and me. Because you see, we were supposed to stand on Judgment Day. We were supposed to stand before God Almighty, give an account of our sin, and stand there and say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And hear nothing but judgment. But in our place, He stood on the cross. And when he cried out to the one whom he used to call Father. An intimate term of, of, of relationship and trust. Now he is simply my God, my God. Yes, Jesus understands what it feels like to be alone in pain. But unlike him, because of him we will always be heard and we will always be embraced because Jesus is our good shepherd. Many years ago when I was in Mexico, I was preparing a message on John 10 and uh, as, as the translator was translating in Spanish, I said, Jesus is our good shepherd. And the Spanish translator said, Jesus es uh, our buen pastor. <laughs> Sorry, my Spanish is bad. Our buen pastor. And I realized, Pastor, he's our good pastor. It's the Latin word of shepherd. And I thought, I'm not worthy to be called that. And here the voice of the Father. As intimate and regular as it was, it was regular until the cross. And for the second time, Jesus says, A good, He is the good shepherd. Why? Because He knows the Father and the Father knows Him, but He has come to lay down His life for the sheep. And Jesus says, My sheep hear My voice. I know them and they follow Me. I need My good shepherd. We need our good shepherd. Because when we cry out, He is now there, the Father and the Spirit. Hear us in our groanings. I don't know about you, but I think one of the things that I do as a pastor is I remind people, hey, you don't need to call me. You can go directly to our Good Shepherd. But if you forget, and if you would like to know how to do that again, we're here to help. And so on being shepherded, I have some thoughts as application. First of all, learn to listen to His voice. Throughout chapter 10, it's made clear that Jesus says, My sheep hear My voice. They know Me and they follow Me. They hear His voice. Do you hear His voice? And I'm not talking about some, you know, charismatic experience. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing. But per se, I want you to understand that hearing His voice... If I can recall how God has led me to tenderly hear his voice regularly, it is by the reading of his word regularly. In his word, you become familiar with his voice over and over again, that the reading of scripture, the listening of messages, and the constant engaging in his word takes you to the truths of what God has spoken. And as you read through it over and over again, when he speaks, you recognize it because you've been reading his words constantly. This is the danger that this generation faces that we're so preoccupied in our time of listening to so many other songs, podcasts, videos, and so forth that it drowns out the voice of our God. May I encourage you on being shepherded first to come and learn to listen to his voice by being regularly and consistently in his word, worship, and and devotion before God. Secondly, listen, learn to call on the shepherd. When the sheep is in danger, he calls on the shepherd by going, bah, as loud as he can. Obviously, we're not going to, ba, but this is our prayer. This is our voice calling out to God. In words of desperation and pain and sorrow, or in words of praise, may you learn to call to our good shepherd. Prayer is a lacking in our church and in our life because the approach to God sometimes is like a vending machine. I seem to pray only when I'm in pain or in need or in, the, in need of a pick-me-up. He's not a vending machine, folks. He is a person, he is a loving shepherd who is willing to hear and, and is with you. And that the reason why sometimes you don't know where he is is not because he's not near, is because we're often facing the other direction. And so prayer leads us to a place of intimacy. If you struggle with prayer like I do at times, there are times when I can, as a pastor, I can rattle off for 10 or 15 minutes with Christian jargon. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. I doubt you're so grace and mercy Thank you. I could just go on for 10 or 15 minutes. And I remember one time as I was praying in the evening, I, as I was rattling off my common prayer, I remember the Spirit of God just causing me to stop and say, Jim, stop. What do you really want to say? And then I began to cry, and I said, "God, I'm hurting over here." It's when prayer takes us to a place from our mind into our heart, and some of us have never had the time or the or the discipline to actually go from the mind to the heart, to learn to pray not just with what you think, but what your heart wants to say to God. It is a powerful moment of intimacy. Prayer is something you learn how to do better. When I taught my children how to pray, at first, they said, I don't know what to say. I said, say whatever you want to say. And one of the things that I do with my children is I, as I drop them off at school, I, I, I have a verse of the day. Daddy gives a little devotion, and then we pray. We pray for people who are in need. We pray for missionaries. We pray for our family. Um, we pray for the events of the day. Recently, I started taking um, um, her friend uh, who's also a Christian, and, um, and we both, uh, they're both in the back seat, and she's not used to praying in front of her friend, but we do the same thing. I told her friend, I said, you know, this is what we do in the car, you know, we do a devotion, and then we pray, and so I do the devotion, and, and I said, you know, when you're ready, you can join us in prayer if you like, and she said, okay. And so Liz, I said, Lizzie, would you pray now? And she's giggling, she's like, oh my gosh, okay, dear Jesus, oh, and she's giggling, and she feels super awkward, and I'm just dying here, I'm like, this is so stupid, right? <laughs> And then she does it and and the second time she's still giggling a little bit and by the third and fourth day now she's just praying like normal because now it's comfortable. Prayer sometimes feels uncomfortable because we're not used to doing it. But get comfortable and when you do oh you're going to meet a savior. You're going to meet a shepherd in a very deep and real way. Thirdly, I want to encourage you to learn to be his under shepherds caring for those he cares for. Jesus is not physically here. And so in his place, he has called many to be his under-shepherds. Pastors, elders, deacons, uh, servants of the church, teachers, Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, access volunteers, you name it. We're all here to help one another walk with Jesus. But each Christian is called to also love and care for one another. That one of the important things that we need to understand is that though we are not Jesus, we are here to help each other walk with him. And as we do that, I hope that we remember our missionaries, our servants, and those who have the task, the daunting task of taking on the title of pastors and elders in our church. Would you continue to be in prayer that we will stay close to our Redeemer, which is the fourth one. Stay close to the shepherd. Stay close to the shepherd. I want to say to you, this sounds like a very interesting thought because you and I are spatial creatures. Close means physical proximity to many of us. Um, I don't feel close to you right now (laughs) you're far away but with God who is omnipresent who is with you right now and every moment of the day through his Holy Spirit what does it mean to stay close to God what does it mean to feel close to God A.W. Tozer in his book Born Before Midnight has a chapter entitled nearness is likeness I thought that was very interesting He says, one serious and often distressing problem for many Christians is their feeling that God is far from them or that they are far from God, which is the same thing. It is hard hard to rejoice in the Lord when we're suffering from this sense of remoteness. And what he goes on to say is that you should never think of God as being spatially near or remote, for he is not neither here nor there, but carries here and there in his heart. Space is not, uh, not infinite, as some have thought. Only God is infinite. And he says, do I not fill the heavens and the earth? And he fills them completely. So then, what does it mean to be near God? And he says, it's likeness. He says, what does an ape have in common with a goat? Or something like that. They're not the same. So they don't, there's no sense of closeness. And when we speak of being far from God... We're speaking about the the reality of our hearts. The Lord said of Israel, their heart is far from me. That is not a physical distance. That is likeness, obedience, and a desire for sin rather than God. And there we have the definition, Tozer writes, of far and near in our relation to God. The word refers to not physical distance, but to likeness. That God is equally near in all parts of His universe is plainly taught in Scripture. And yet some beings experience His nearness and others do not. Depending on their moral likeness to Him, it is dissimilarity that creates a sense of remoteness. It's like when you say, when, when when you see someone who you share a lot in common with, you feel very close. And this is where our pursuit of sanctification. We're walking with Jesus each day, not to earn anything, but because we have been given this gift of this relationship, now we know what it means to draw near to him as we grow each day more in his likeness. What kind of love is this? What kind of shepherd is this? That he would lay down his life for sheep. Sheep are easily replaceable. They come by flocks. But this shepherd was God in human flesh. And he was willing to lay down his life for you and me. And with this, I want to suggest to you, we have a real need of a good and true shepherd. May you stay near to him. Listen to him. Speak to him and learn to serve others for him and stay near as you become more like him. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we will never know what it was like when you cried out on the cross and there was only silence. The voice and the presence of the Father that was with you all the days of your life was gone. The comfort, the consolation, the hope, the joy, they were all gone. You were completely alone and your, and your cries fell on deaf ears. Thank you for doing for us what would have cost us an eternity to do. Thank you for doing what you did out of your love And your shepherding heart. Thank you for thinking of us. As absolutely helpless sheep. Dead in our sins and our transgressions. Unable to help ourselves or set ourselves free. You became our redemption. And you paid the price with your blood. And now as we cry out as sheep. Thank you that you hear us. Thank you that you are present with us. And thank you that you are listening. And embracing and loving each one of your sheep. Thank you for acting before we even blurted one word for help. Thank you for sending this good shepherd. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.